You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. This morning, I want to welcome uh, one of our great friends here. You guys, have, if you were here a few weeks ago, you met him. Uh, his name is Brad Baker. Uh, Brad was the pastor of college, uh, college and 20-somethings at Saddleback Church in California. He's a, so he's like Southern California guy. He probably knows more about surfing than all of you. Uh, he's originally from Castle Rock, and he um, is on staff here at New Life. He's the pastor of Young Marrieds. Um, and so if you are like a young married couple or you're about to get married, you're dating, go talk to Brad. He's a really awesome guy, and he wants to just help you. He wants to um, make sure that your relationships are healthy and that they'll succeed. And so, uh, yeah, he's an, he's an incredible guy. And we're in this uh, one-month topic of relationships uh, and so Brad is going to bring a wonderful topic today. You guys are going to love it. And I'll let him tell you what he's talking about. But would you guys welcome Brad Baker? I love that smile. Morning, guys. How are we doing? Good. Well, I'm, uh, confession, I'm a little groggy this morning, which is dangerous because the topic on hand is sexuality. And so, as a pastor, you want to be very alert when you're talking about sex publicly because, you know, when you're tired, your filter drops, and, you know, you just never know what's going to come out of your mouth. So, I'm a little nervous this morning, Um, but the good news is I had a full, I don't know what it was, it said, like, espresso something something, and so that's the other danger is if you're you're talking publicly about sex and you're over-caffeinated, it's also dangerous. So I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful, like I started here, you know, really groggy, and hopefully like midway through the talk I'm here so that everything is okay and not here or here because then you guys can laugh at me about all the inappropriate things that I accidentally said. Um, no, I'm really, really excited uh, to be with you guys this morning. Um, as Adam said, speaking of Adam, um, you guys have an amazing college ministry staff, um, I've only been here since July, so I'm getting to know them. Our offices got moved into the mill offices, and I love, I love the staff of College Ministry. Do you guys, aren't they? Can we just like, yeah, there we go. Give it up for them. Amazing. Amazing. But I, as Adam said, I was, I was a college pastor for 12 years, and so hanging out with you guys on a morning like this morning is just feels really, really great for me. I, I miss being around college students, so any chance I get, um, I'm very happy about it. Um, but this morning, we're zeroing in, like I said, on sexuality. And this is one of those areas in our life that we tend to kind of compartmentalize, don't we? We're like, God, you can have this part of my world, but this over here, let, let me kind of figure it out and handle it on my own. And I think for some of us this morning... God would simply say, like, trust me. Trust me with this part of who you are, this part of your life. Um, I created you. Um, and so maybe that's, maybe that for some of you, that's part of what's going to happen this morning is that your heart will feel free to trust God in a new way with this part of your life. So that's the first thing that comes to mind. The second thing is that when we talk about sexuality, there's always, um, for a lot of us, a sense of shame that immediately kind of creeps in. And some of you may be sitting there thinking, if I knew the guy was going to be talking about sex this morning, um, maybe I would have not come. 
just because it makes me kind of face some things in my past that aren't exactly, I'm not exactly proud of. Well, here's the good news. Um, no one stands alone this morning. None of us stand alone in the sense that we all come on level ground, don't we? We've all blown it because we are broken and we're in the process of being redeemed. We have had missteps related to our sexuality. In other words, no one stands on higher ground. So if you feel like, oh man, I, this is a really like area of my life that I've, you know, I feel so awkward. No, 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 no. You're in great company this morning. We've all blown it at one, one way or the other in this area of our life. And so we, we come together to approach the Bible and God and even each, each other as we talk. We're all, we're all, we're all in need of grace. We're all in need of forgiveness and redemption. And so if you're feeling that way this morning, right from the get-go, I just want to say, you're in great company. You're among family. We're all in the process of, of being made whole in the Lord. Um, and so before we um, jump into the middle of this, I just want to pray and invite God to be the one that teaches. And uh, for it not just to be another you know, fun little morning at Mill Sunday School, that we would really hear from God um, and what he wants to say. So will you guys, you guys pray with me? Father, we acknowledge you as our creator. And we, we believe your word when it says that you literally knit us together inside our mother's womb. And that you know us so completely, inside and out, the good, the bad, the ugly, the awful. And you love us the same. It changes nothing. Your intimate knowledge of us changes nothing. Your love remains. God, nothing can ever separate us from your love. And we rest in that. We rest in our identity as your children. And so this morning, we just come, God, um, acknowledging our need for you. Acknowledging that we need to hear from you, God, and especially in this area where it's just so easy to wander off the path and get lost so easy to step outside of what's best for us so we just invite you to come and instruct our hearts we pray in Jesus name and everybody said Amen. well being a, a, a college pastor for all these years up until now I spent a lot of time um, at retreats and I spent a lot of time believing that I'm a lot younger than I really am um, I'm, I'm 38 years old, and one of, the stu- one of the things we did in, in Cali a lot was we'd play Ultimate Frisbee. Anybody play Ultimate Frisbee in the room? Yeah. Represent! And I would always forget when I played Ultimate that I'm not 18, 19, 20 years old anymore, and I, w- I would always go full, full tilt and then be in bed for like three days after that, you know, and be begging my wife, like, please bring me some water, I can't move. Um, one particular ultimate frisbee game that I'll never forget, we were up in the, in the, in the hills. They, the people in Cali called them mountains, but they're really hills. Um, we were up there playing ultimate, and it, it had been raining, which is also unusual for this area in California that I lived. It had been raining, and not just like little kind rain, but like what we've had here in Colorado recently. It was coming down, and so the field was muddy, and people are just covered, and you're diving. I mean, it felt like, it, you know, like... You, when you see people that do Tough Mudder, you know, races or whatever, just cover, that's how it looked. 
And I just remember I was just feeling so manly and just, oh, this is so good. And we're playing, we're playing against another church. Have you guys ever competed against another church? It's like, all right, we're family, but we're not friends. <laughs> Bring it. And, um, and so we're playing, and the score was tied. And, you know, I, my, I'm a slightly competitive individual. And I, I had the Frisbee, and one of my favorite students, not that I had a favorite student, um, was open in the end zone. And so I'm getting ready to throw it, and all of a sudden... He just stops, and he just goes pale, and he's like, I just see him go, I, I can't hear him, but I see him go, Whoa. and he's looking up the canyon, and I'm like, dude, it's tied, the Frisbee, like, hello, like, you were, you were going to win and beat this other church, come on, and he's just lost, and then I hear it, this rumbling noise, and I'm like, what is that? It sounded like five freight trains coming from up to the canyon down to where we were. And so I quickly run over and I go, dude, what is that? And by this time, the whole, everyone playing had stopped and run over to the edge of the field where there was this huge wash, deep, deep wash area. And it just rumbled, rumbled. I thought, is this the end of the world? Like, what's happening here? And it was a massive, massive flash flood, complete with like, bus-sized boulders and hundreds of huge pine trees at the front of it. And it just came through that, that right by the field where we were. And we just stood there in awe. I mean, the ground underneath our feet was just... And I, 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 I was just like, you know, I, at that point, no one gave a rip about the ultimate Frisbee game because we were in awe of this flash flood that we had witnessed. And it literally, it felt like, you know, in addition to shaking the ground, it felt like it shook something inside of each of us. And I know you, you guys have had a moment like this. Maybe you haven't witnessed the flash flood. Hopefully, actually, hopefully you haven't witnessed flash flood or any of the recent stuff that's happened in our state. But you've had a moment where you've experienced something and the power of it leaves you completely awestruck. Maybe, maybe it was a place you visited, and you thought, oh, this will be cool. And then you get there, and you, and you finally come out of the, the trees, and you, and you see the landscape, and you're like, oh, I want to die right here. I would be satisfied. My life is complete in this moment. Look at this scenery. And you just you soak it, you soak it in, and you realize this is significant. Or maybe it was something relational that happened, that someone said something to you. Someone maybe encouraged you in an area that you were down. And and the impact of their words, you just felt like, this is a powerful, powerful moment. And it was like that for me, and each of my four kids were born. Each of those four moments are burned into my psyche. You know, we have these pictures of my wife and I staring at our firstborn, that moment, even though I'd heard dads go, dude, you're going to be a wreck, you're going to cry, it's going to destroy you emotionally, not in a bad way, but like, you'll, you'll, be, you'll be like reduced to rubble emotionally. But I had no idea until I went through it myself, the power of that moment, holding Olivia Grace, who's now 10, I look at her and I'm like, oh my gosh, stop growing, but wait, keep growing, I don't know, I'm confused, I love you, and I just, I know you from a baby, and it's just an amazing Amazing moment. And here's what I would argue. 
The more powerful something is, the more important it is that we know how to handle it. Why? Because the more powerful something is, the greater its potential to bring good or destruction into our lives. And sex, our sexuality, is most definitely one of those things that has incredible power in our lives. And some of us this morning, I mean, we, we, we all, at some level, probably firsthand bear the scars or the upside of sexuality, the power of sexuality gone wrong. And it's brought destruction in our life at some level. It's brought pain. It's brought isolation where we thought it would bring us connection. Or maybe we we know a friend that we can think about that we go, man, yeah, the power of sexuality is evident in their life. And it could be for good or for bad. Maybe you know a friend who's been married a couple years and you see the, the oneness in their marriage and the unity and you're like, God, you created this thing called sex and these people now are having that part of their relationship, enjoying the fruits of the marital bed. Uh-oh, my caffeine's kicking in, I can tell. <clears throat> and you go, look at that, that's so powerful, it's beautiful. I, I, you see the way they look at each other and you just go, ah, it's beautiful. And then on the, maybe you know a friend and you go, oh man. They, they got wrapped up and, and sexuality kind of seemed almost like hijacked their, their whole world and their identity and they... They're struggling with some, some sort of addiction, and, and, and you grieve for them. Or maybe, maybe you know the power of sexuality because your parents' marriage exploded because of infidelity or some sort of sexual impropriety, and you go, yeah, this thing called sex is incredibly potent and powerful. So it is vital. If we all agree that sexuality is a powerful thing, isn't it then, wouldn't, we then, wouldn't it then follow that we would all agree that it's, inc- it's so important what we think about it, how we view it, how it's framed in our mind, right? Because if not, right, again, we run the risk of having something incredibly powerful and maybe not realizing it completely up front. And then, then we realize it and we go, oh man, I wish I would have figured that out a little sooner because now I'm sort of reaping the benefits or the downside of how I viewed sexuality. So there's, there's a couple of, of very prominent views on sex alive and well in our culture. How people think about it. And a lot of times it's unconscious the way they think about it. So here's what I want you guys to do. I want you guys to take just a few minutes at your table. I'm not going to give you very long. And I want you to talk about what you think are maybe the top three or five, if you're feeling really adventurous here, three to five most prominent views on sexuality. So how people or our culture as a whole think about sex or views sex. So um, if you're feeling a little squeamish right now because it's like you're asking me to turn to this table, talk about sex, just say it under your breath now. Sex. Okay, say it. Sex. Okay, yeah, I can say this out loud. And maybe, maybe at the table as you turn, just look at each other and go, Sex. We can say this, so don't be shy. So what you're going to do, again, three to five prominent views, ready? Beep, go. All right, what was the most awkward thing said at, at, at your table? 
Anybody have an awkward moment? Okay, good. Just want to make sure that we're all okay. All right, what did you guys come up with? So, uh, appoint a spokesperson with a loud voice. Yeah, point at them. Point at the person who's loud at the table. And say, you. You, you you've been elected. All right, so somebody who's brave, stand up right now and tell me what you guys came up. Again, we're talking about ways that our culture, people in our culture, view sexuality. Yes, young man standing up right there. Right. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa, we had we had one spokesperson. This this table was so rich with content, it has two spokespeople. I'm not sure who's in maybe a third. I had a fist pump. Mm. Wow. Great. Adam, there's our next speaker right there for, for next week. That was good. He raises, he says yes. All right, I like it. So the self-expression part, I think, was the part, I mean, not that the rest of what you said wasn't great, but I, I felt like that part of it was so spot on. Like, this is just who I am. So therefore, how can you possibly say that me expressing myself in this way it should be monitored or held back or what are you talking about like that's a very very prominent view yes some table i'm feeling it over here some giggly girls over here a little nervous to call on but maybe that's where some good stuff's going on i don't know and this table this is like the very calm like we are people of substance this is like we love sex this is great we're so happy to be here we came on the right day okay so so either one of these two tables can can jump up but we're, we're going to wait here until one of the two tables represents this corner. So, yeah, a spokesperson right here. What did you guys come up with? I'm serious. This is, this is important. Right. Yeah. It ain't no thing. Yeah. It ain't no thing but a chicken wing. Right. Like the hookup culture, you know, you go out to a club, you find someone who's remotely attractive on a scale of one to ten, maybe they're at least like a two or a three, and, and then you go, you know, do what you're going to do, and then it's like, what, that's just, it was a typical weekend, like that is very much a cultural view, like it ain't no, we'll call it the ain't no thing view on sex, yes. Mm. Yeah, as, as, as if our activity related to our sexuality defines us for going forward. Like, our, in, some, in some Christian cultures, it's like, yeah, you wear the, you know, the scarlet letter. 
you know, you've, you've been promiscuous, therefore you are defined by that. It's like, no, 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 we're defined by Jesus. I love that, I love that, that tension there. Okay, we'll take one more. Maybe somebody in the back who's like, I would never, I don't want my table, I don't want to say what my table said, because it's just so crazy cool. Who's in the back? They want to say, don't be shy, come on. Oh yes, there she is. Speak up. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah, it's really nuanced. Like, we can try to put these big banners over certain things, and I think we can do that to a certain degree. But then you, got, you and I both know it's very nuanced, isn't it? You, depending on who you talk to, it's like, well, this is kind of what I think, and this is how I live my life. I am so glad that Jesus, our Father, the Holy Spirit, they knew this would be a huge deal for us, that we would, we would wrestle how this fits in. And the Bible speaks so clearly to us about this. Um, I, I think that the best way to lay the foundation on the biblical view of sex is just to say, God loves Sex. God is totally into sex. He created it. You know, we, we like look at nature and we go, God loves creativity. God loves nature. And we're like, yes, God, you, you are all about the natural world and the beauty of the natural world. But somehow when it comes to sex, we shy away from saying God is just into sex. Because we somehow think like, well, wait a second. What, what you, that makes me feel a little squeamish. God is so into sex that there is an entire book of the Bible devoted to erotic poetry. Now, some of you are thinking, like, really? (laughs) I did not know. (laughs) I've been on the line of whether I want to believe, and now I want to be a believer. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we'll talk about that later. Yeah, the book, Song of Solomon, right, is this, is this book devoted to, to the celebration of intimacy between a man and a woman. And, they, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, maybe it's been a while since you've traversed that book, but I'm, I'm just going to read a few little excerpts just to show you. Like, this is chapter 7 of Song of Solomon, um, and we're going to read, I'm not going to read it all because I might blush, but, I mean, <laughs> this just, like, just jumps right into it. Uh, your breasts are like fawns, twins of gazelles. Your neck is carved ivory, curved and slender. Your eyes are wells of light, twins of a gazelle. Your neck, oh wait, yeah. See, I'm getting a little flustered. I'm reading the same thing twice. I, apparently I wanted to meditate on that. Um, your eyes, yeah, it's the caffeine's really kicking in now. Your eyes are wells of light, deep with mystery, quintessentially feminine. Your profile turns all heads, commanding attention. And then it goes on to talk about that the, the woman is like a tree w- full of fruit, right? Dates, and it talks about a man climbing the tree and grabbing a hold of the dates, which is just, I don't really know what that exactly means. But, but it's incredible to see that there, well, we have a God who's not prudish. A God who just says, sex is this beautiful, awesome gift 
and it's to be celebrated. God has an incredibly high view of sex. And that's precisely why he puts special parameters around our sexuality. If our sexuality wasn't sacred, wasn't a gift, didn't matter that much to God, he would just be like, yeah, right? It ain't no thing. Type mentality, go for it. But no, he says, sex is meant to be an expression of whole life, whole person giving of yourself to another person. And therefore, to use it in any other way is to cheapen it and to abuse it. There's no one that has a higher view of sex than God himself. So much so that he he says that it's sacred. So much so that he says that the marriage bed should be guarded. So much so that he says it should only happen in a special context in which there is safety and security. And it is representative of two people giving of themselves wholly and completely to one another. And so literally, to to, to use sex in any other way is to abuse it. It's to use it for something lesser than what God created it. See, we, we sometimes think in Christian cultures, if we lessen the value or the importance of sex, then we can somehow control it. In fact, it's just the opposite. We need to have a highly, highly elevated view of sex, so much so that we say, this is sacred. Sex is sacred. And it was given as this gift to us so that we could express this idea of self-giving, of self-sacrificing, of letting go and giving ourselves completely and wholly to another person. So if, 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 if you guys buy into this, that sexuality is sacred, and it is way more important to God than it maybe is to us, just in a different way, then we really need to decide how we're going to go forward. We better figure this out now so that we don't wake up one day and go, oh wow, I had no idea how, how important this was. And I have all these years now to unpack and process when I could have saved myself from this drama, from, from offering myself to people that it didn't, it didn't mean anything. So I want to just wrestle the next few minutes with really one simple question. How do we treat our sexuality like the sacred gift from God that it is? If we buy in that God created us, and that part of his creation was our sexuality, and that God in turn, as the creator, knows what is best and most fulfilling to us, then we also have to say, yeah, God must, God must really know what he's talking about. It really must be something more than I've made it to be. Or something different than I've made it to be. So if we buy in that, that just as God has, has set apart us as his people, that he also wants to set apart our sexuality along with it, then, we, then it begs this question. How do we learn to treat, treat it this way? Because there's so many alternatives that I could easily fall into if I don't learn to treat this part of me the right way. So here's the first answer to that question, I think, and this is by no means comprehensive. How do we treat our sexuality like the sacred gift from God that it is? The first thing is, we let go of 
and learn from our past. We let go of and learn from our past. These are two seemingly opposing ideas. We usually choose one or the other, but rarely both. We either say, I'm gonna, I know what I've done sexually in my past, and I just want to let go of it and walk into forgiveness and never think about it again. And there's part of that that's, you go, yeah, we're free. You know, nothing in our past holds us. But I think we simultaneously have to let go of it, but also go, God, what do I need to learn from, from what happened and, and why it happened? And what do you want to teach me? What do you want to show me? And it's these dual movements related to our past that I really think help us, help set us up for in our future. Let go and learn. We let go and learn. The beautiful thing about the gospel is that it never lets us take our sin lightly, nor does it allow us to beat ourselves up about it. So again, it's, it's that, those two ideas. We don't take it lightly, meaning, God, what do I learn about, about myself from that situation that I got tangled up in that I still can't believe I got tangled up in? But neither do we beat ourselves up about it. That we really do say, it's gone. The blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was sufficient for even that. Remember that, remember that thing that I haven't thought about in a long time and I was in high school? That, the cross covers that. So when we learn to, to learn and let go, it sets us up. It puts us in the right framework to go, okay, my past, I am neither plagued by my past or ignorant of how my past could affect me in the present. See, there, there are sometimes huge clues about ourselves related to our past. When you look back and you go, well, why did I struggle in that way? Or why did I engage in illicit sexual activity? And that is an important question. Because if you don't understand what made you vulnerable or what, what led to that po- point back then, what's saying that you couldn't fall prey for that same thing in the present? It's a huge deal. One of the things that, if you've been sexually active and you're now going, I, I really want to be fully God's in this area of my life, is back here, you created an appetite in yourself for what I call the sneak. You know, you, you knew your conscience were bearing witness to God's word. You knew what you're engaging in wasn't God's best for you, but there was an exhilaration. It's kind of like what people that have problems with stealing, there is an adrenaline and an excitement that's amped up when you go in and you shoplift something. And for some people, it's not even the the product that they're trying to shoplift anymore. It's just the excitement of going in and planning, how am I going to fool all the security systems in this place and walk out with whatever I want? And so they get addicted to that adrenaline rush. So there's literally an appetite within us that can be created with illicit sex that we now, we, we crave that. And so it can even happen when you go into a marriage and you're having, you know, God-honoring sexual, you know, relationships, relations, that you, you long for the sneak because you created an appetite over here. And I've talked to so many couples, you guys, seriously, married couples that have said, we're having frequent, you know, regular sex, what would maybe be considered a normal amount, but yet I just, it's not, I don't, I can't, and I go, well, you know, were you, 
were you a virgin when you got married? Well, no, I, I wasn't. And, and so we start talking about specifics, more about like, well, what, what do you, you know, tell me what's in your mind. And it often boils down to is there was just something exhilarating about this sexual encounter over here, and it's not over here. And so that's a huge aha, because there's nothing wrong with the sexu- sex that the, the married couple is probably having, but it's just this acknowledgement that I hunger for this over here. And so God, it's, you then bring it knowingly before God, and you say, God, please help me with this. Because I opened the door to this illicit sexual activity, so help me. So check this out. This married person, right, they maybe feel forgiven, but if they don't reach back and also learn what happened and how it's affecting them now, do you see how it can sabotage the relationship? Suddenly they're telling their partner, like, I'm just not satisfied in our sex life. And what they really mean is, I created an appetite over here when I was 16, 17 years old, and it wasn't a godly, God-honoring appetite and that's what's affecting our sexuality now. You see that? So they could be walking and, and no, no longer shame, but if they didn't also learn, right, from it. So let go and learn. The second thing, how do we treat our sexuality like the sacred gift from God that it is? We build reality-based safeguards in the present. So there's a movement related to our past, right? Learn and let go. And in the present, we say, okay, realistically, how do I build safeguards in the present? Now, this one's always, this one has been so telling for me personally over the years, and also as I've, you know, hung out with tons of college students and now young marrieds, is people, most Jesus followers genuinely long, because the Spirit of God is within them, right? Genuinely long to honor God in this area of their life. But there's this disconnect between that longing and what it would practically take to fulfill that longing of purity. In other words, it's like, yeah, I long to be pure, but, you know, I can't figure out why I'm still stumbling. And I'm like, well, tell me about your last date. Well, you know, we, we got this mountain chalet together, and we drunk, we had like, you know, three or four bottles of wine, and we put on a, a fire and some romantic music, and I don't know what happened. We just started making love. And I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Are you joking me? And they're like, what? I mean, I, what? And I'm like, well, step one, like, you, you got your own mountain chalet? Over Valentine's Day weekend? Forget the wine and the fire and the snow falling outside and the romantic music and, and forget all that. You were in a mountain chalet alone with someone that you found attractive for, for a, one night? Yeah. I, and I can't figure out how, why we ended up having sex. It's crazy how we, 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 we walk ignorantly, right? A lot of times we go, okay, what, so what would it really take? What, what are reality-based safeguards? The couples that I know who have walked, who have really walked that desire out and have been effective in, in honoring God with their sexuality throughout a dating relationship are ones that had what probably a lot of us would view as, well, that's really conservative. That's really kind of prudish, strict, like, set of parameters. Like, one couple I know, they just said, you know, here, here's the deal. We're not joking around about this purity thing. We're just never alone together in a private environment. Never. And I'm like, you're going to make it to your marriage day. You know, it's, Burger King isn't exactly the place that you want to, 
you know, make out with somebody. Um, and so literally, they, 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 would, they learned the art of being completely alone in a very public place. So they would they'd pick a favorite coffee shop, they'd pick a favorite restaurant, but under no circumstances were they to go back to her apartment. Because my friend knew, he's like, I'm going to get into her apartment, we're going to start watching the movie, and I'm going to get a little broggy, and then I'm going to lose my head, and I'm going to hold her hand, and then it's just going to push. You know? I, don't, I have no idea what that represented. <laughs> but again, I have now two cups of espresso in me. But are you guys tracking me? If this is something that you really long for, then don't joke around. Really pursue it. Really say, God, I'm going to do whatever it takes because I want to have a high view of sexuality. I, I want to treat it like the sacred thing that it is. And so you don't mess around. You say, reality-based safeguards. What are those for you? What does that look like for you? Have you really thought through it? If you're dating someone, have you sat down and gone, okay, here is the deal. Like, Carrie and I, my wife, been married, you know, a long time, 12 years. We would have this thing where both feet remained on the ground at all times. And if at any point, there, you know, I, things got a little steamy, I just said, I'm going to just tap out. I will literally just walk out of your apartment. You, I will just be gone. Like, you won't even... So sometimes she'd be over there cooking pancakes and, you know, just hanging out, you know, making, you know, breakfast for dinner. And I, I just was feeling a little excited. And, um, and all of a sudden, like, she turned around. She's like, hello? Where, where'd he go? And I'd call her on the phone. I'm like, I'm sorry. It's just not a good night. I'm going to have to come. I'll, I'll see you in the morning. And I'm like, I just knew, right, that for whatever reason... I felt, in that moment, I was feeling vulnerable. Like, I just wanted to attack her, you know? And I was just like, look, I'm not going to mess around. So if I ever feel, and that only happened a few times where I bolted. That that was kind of weird. Um, Normally, I would have a conversation with her like, I think we should go to the yogurt shop now. But but what what, what is that for you guys? are, Are you really connected to reality in your mind as it relates to this? The last thing is this. How do we treat our sexuality like the sacred gift from God that it is? We adopt a gospel-centered mindset to sustain us in our future. A gospel-centered mindset to sustain us in our future. So we've got our past that we're learning and letting go of. We've got our present that we're really connected to reality. And when we think about our future, and our sexuality. How do we think about it? Well, we put the gospel right in the middle of it. And what do I mean? I've said, I've heard a lot of young people say, you know, I I really am committed to saving myself for marriage so that my marriage can be healthy. And there's part of that that's like, yeah. You you don't want to carry any extra baggage into your marriage. So if there was indiscretion before, you're like, I'm committing to this Next season, I'm going to be completely, you know, walking in purity. So I go, yeah. But did you know that's only part of the right answer? The real reason that we should save ourselves sexually is because we know that when we step outside of God's best for us, that it damages our ability to connect to God. Again, it's, it, he doesn't go anywhere, right? Because the gospel covers it. But in us, we can go through months, 
even years of feeling this, oh my gosh, I can't, what did I do? I can't, I can't believe it. And we wrestle, and we, we struggle with shame and guilt, and we feel like, ah, I just, ugh. And, and it affects our ability to connect with God, who is willingly waiting to connect with us at any point in our life, right? But us. So we talk about a gospel-centered mindset. We're saving ourselves. We're, we're walking in purity so that we can maintain the highest possible level of intimacy with God. That's the ultimate goal, right? Because, because we know that there is no, no relationship on earth that can fulfill us and sustain us like our relationship with God. And anything that disrupts that is to be just abhorred is to be resisted, is to be, is to be pushed out of our life at any level because God fulfills our soul. God meets our deepest needs. In our marriage, no matter how great it will be or we perceive it to be, it cannot fulfill the deepest needs of the human heart. Only God can. And so when it comes to our sexuality, the ultimate reason we guard it is because, God, we, I want the highest possible level of intimacy with you. And I know if I engage in this, there's going to be this disruption in me that, that affects my ability to be close to you. Even though you're ready and waiting, I, I, I'll have this challenge, this wrestle that I'll have to walk through. Because it's our relationship with him that we find fullness. Full acceptance. Our very identity is found in him. And when we step outside of his best, that's disrupted. Ultimately, sex is this picture of something far greater. It's a picture of, of, of intimacy with God. A pastor that I know and, and respect, he says, there's this incredible connection in most people's lives between their prayer life and their sexuality. And he says, here's, what, here's why I think that is. Prayer is, on this, on this earth, is our, will be our most intimate exchange that we have with God. When we go before God and we, the veil has been torn, we have access to God, we can go before the Almighty, creator of the world, and have a conversation with him. We can tell him anything. It's intimate. It's deep. It's, it's incredible. It's, it's on this spiritual plane. And on the human plane, this, this, this sexual expression, this, this intimate engagement of giving yourself to another person in the most vulnerable of ways, is, is, is that on the physical, human level. And so what he's found is, a lot of times he was speaking of about his personal life, and he said, when I'm not engaging in this to the depth and the degree that I should, I find that that desire for God, that longing for God, transfers over onto sometimes my sexuality, and it gives it a pressure, a intensity that it wasn't intended to bear. So if this isn't being exercised, if we're not allowing God to fulfill us and sustain us in that emotional, intimate connection with God, what do we do? We try to seek it out over here. And so it's a, it's a, it's a legitimate longing for intimacy, but it's just being expressed in a way that's illegitimate. And so when we talk about our future sexuality, when we put our relationship with Jesus in the middle of it, it changes everything. Suddenly we're not looking over here. We're not worshiping sex anymore. We're not hoping that sex will somehow fill that empty bucket inside. We know, we know where it happens. It happens right here. 
We put Jesus in the middle of it. So if, if our sexuality is to be treated with reverence, it takes these three movements. God, learn and let go, right? My past, reality in the present, and then a gospel-filled future mindset. Imagine being a part of a community of people who really wanted to walk this out together, both individually and corporately. They said, God, we, we don't want to hide our sexuality in this back closet and pretend that it doesn't exist, sort of handle it on, all on our own. What, what if this community of people brought that part of themselves into the community and said, this is where I've been, this is who I am. This is what I want to be in this area. And they found other like-minded people who said, yeah. We believe it's a sacred gift from God. We believe that God has a higher view of sexuality than any of us. We believe that he knows what's most fulfilling. We want to walk this out together. Can you guys imagine being a part of a community like that? Where the, the issue of our sexuality was put in its proper place. Just thinking about that makes me take a deep breath. Of people that have literally said, God, be the Lord over my sexuality. I give you this final say in all of this. Mold and shape my heart. Help me to do whatever it takes. That's the kind of community that I go, whoa, that would be amazing. That the destructive power of abused sexuality was greatly diminished. It would be a community full of wholeness and health to a large degree. And it would reflect God at, at, at a whole different level. People, people around, the, around them that knew this community of people would look in and go, that's just, that's radically different. I, I'm really curious as to how these people think. And I think people would ask a question of us if that's the kind of community we were a part of. So I ask you, if you could envision that community because of this reason. Because that's the community that God wants to establish among his people. And that he's given us everything we need, right, for life and for godliness in him. We can become that community. Where there's healing and learning from our past, where there's reality safeguards in our present, and there's a Jesus gospel-filled mentality about our future. Why don't we stand and we'll pray together? You might just take a minute and allow yourself um, to think about your past something that we like to avoid a lot because how it makes us feel. But I think sometimes Jesus just says, take my hand, let's go back, and let's look at it together so that I can free you, so that I can teach you. Right? What did Jesus say? Take my yoke, my burden upon you if you're weary. I'll give you rest for I'm gentle and humble of heart. And then he said, I'll teach you, I'll instruct you. God, when we think about our past, for some of us, 
we already know there's a lot there. And this morning, if we haven't already, we just accept that you've washed us. That our mistakes don't define us. Your love does. That our indiscretion doesn't define us. Our identity of sons and daughters does. And God, in the same in the same moment of letting go and accepting your forgiveness, God, we say, teach us. God, show us. Show us the insights we need about our past so that we can move forward. And God, in our present, we want to be ruthless in protecting our hearts. So show us what it would mean to guard the gift of sexuality that you've given us, a sacred gift. God, and then in our future, we know that our deepest longing and desire is intimacy with you. And that's ultimately why we want to do this, because we don't want anything to disrupt our connection with you. So God, thank you that we can trust you with this area of our life. And show us what that would look like for us to let go of control and just lean in on you on what you say and what you have for us, Lord. We thank you, Father, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Mills Sunday School Podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.